0: All right, podcast family, what's our tagline? Y'all know what it is, right? It's medicine moves fast. Boy, does it. Because in this episode, we're going to address a brand new FDA approval for a new vaccine that may be recommended. Notice I said maybe because it's not yet may be recommended in pregnancy. This is the new vaccine for RSV, not to protect the pregnant patient, but to protect her unborn child. Now, the FDA just approved this vaccine yesterday, which was August the 21st. We're taping this on August the 22nd, 2023. However, there are some big concerns here, and I'm going to explain why we may not be ready for mass incorporation into OB protocols just yet. This still has to pass through the CDC's approval and then the ACIP, which is the, the the organization that actually recommends the vaccination schedule to practitioners. And ACOG still is not 100% on board. So I'm going to discuss some of the issues here, I'm not trying to downplay the FDA's new approval of this new maternal RSV vaccine, for neonatal protection, but it does have some issues. So in this episode, we're going to discuss the nuances and the cautionary notes regarding this new FDA-approved vaccination targeting pregnant women. Medicine moves real fast. We're here to help us all keep up the pace. This is Clinical Pearls. Thank you. All right. So when I first heard this news, and by the way, this is not something that caught everybody off guard. We've published on this. I mean, we've done episodes on this in the past. This has been under development in a way to try to tackle newborn neonatal RSV infections, because, of course, it can be very morbid and are very costly on a population level. So anytime we have a way to decrease disease at a population level, this should be welcomed. However, this is very unique because it is targeting patients who are pregnant in the third trimester. And once we talk about the data here, there's some cautionary notes here and why this barely, barely squeaked by FDA approval. Now, remember, even though the FDA approved it, it's one thing to get approved. It's another thing to have a recommendation. So we're still waiting for three organizations to give their final approval. That is the CDC, that is the ACIP, and then, of course, ACOG. SMFM will usually join on to the ACOG cog messaging. So even though this was approved yesterday, uh, and and it is good news, anytime we have a new vaccine, again, as I mentioned already, to combat disease, that's good. But the idea is that this is not the only way to prevent neonatal RSV. I mean, if this was the only thing that we had, then you know people will be much more behind it. But I'm going to give you the cautionary tales here and the data that got the approval in just a minute. But remember that just Not long ago, like in July, uh, last month in 2023, the FDA also approved a new medication that is also aimed at prevention of neonatal RSV. And that was Bayfortis. Bayfortis is a monoclonal antibody that has unique activity against RSV. Now, this monoclonal antibody is administered as a single IM injection that can be given prior to or during the RSV season to give some protection against RSV infection. So this is done, again, given to the baby, given to the neonate, as opposed to a maternal RSV uh, vaccine. Now, just to be very clear, before this is a whole other vaccine. That is a monoclonal antibody. And the new vaccine that was approved for maternal use is not. Okay, so just to clarify, before this is a monoclonal antibody given to the child, the new FDA approved vaccine is from Pfizer, and that is an antigen vaccine. So these are different things. But you see how this is now maybe not so vital on the maternal front, because we do have something to administer to the neonate to protect the child that is a monoclonal antibody. So it's not like we don't have any other way to do this. There are other options here. So that's the first nuance. Right now, the two main vaccines that are foundational in pregnancy, of course, are the influenza vaccine, especially during influenza season, and Tdap. Remember, of course, that Tdap is given every pregnancy. There's also, of course, and you throw on top of that, the COVID vaccination or the COVID booster. And remember that we still have another vaccine that's in development, which is the GBS vaccine. And I did a podcast on that not long ago that's already in development to potentially get rid of universal screening and give patients protection against GBS uh, at time of birth. But again, we're not ready for that yet. So the other question becomes, man, how many vaccines can a pregnant woman get? So right now we have influenza, we have Tdap, then you throw on top of that the COVID uh, and then the booster, and now there's this one. Now we're going to talk about timing here in just a minute and why you likely do not want to co-administer this new maternal RSV vaccine with Tdap if this gets approved uh, and recommended for use in pregnancy. You don't want to give them together, and I'll explain why in just a minute. Before we move on to the new maternal RSV vaccine, a quick word based upon the FDA's recent approval of who should get Bayfordis. Okay, that's not what we're talking about here. Remember, that's not given to moms, that's given to babies. But according to the FDA uh, packaging to the approval, this can be given to neonates and infants born during or entering the first RSV season and in children up to age 24 months of age who remain vulnerable to severe RSV. Okay, that's exactly Exactly that's verbatim out of the approval from the U.S. FDA regarding Bay Fortis. So the phase three double blind trial that was presented to the FDA that earned it its squeaking by approval was published in the New England Journal of Medicine back in April of 2023, so just four months ago. The title was Bivalent Perfusion F Vaccine in Pregnancy to Prevent RSV Illness in Infants. Okay, This was the phase three study. Remember, we talked about the phases of of a medical drug or of a med device development in the past. Phase three is usually your multi-site Uh, study that the FDA uses to grant approval, okay? So this was done, uh, again, multi-site in 18 countries and it recruited pregnant patients from 24 weeks through 36 weeks, and they randomly assigned patients to vaccination or placebo in a one-to-one ratio. So this vaccine is a bivalent, and it's it's meant to cause an immune reaction to the uh, F- protein against RSV. Okay, so the vaccine name is RSV pre-F. So that stands again for the bivalent pre-fusion F vaccine. In this study, just over 3,600 maternal participants received the vaccine compared to 3,600 who received placebo. So let's just stop right here. This isn't you know, 100,000 or 200,000, but it was 3,682 who got the vaccine and 3,676 received placebo. You're like, okay, I'm still pretty good, right? I mean, And I agree with that, but those are good numbers. But it may have been underpowered to find some adverse events. I'm going to talk about this when we talk about the cautionary notes and the nuances here. So just to get that straight, it was 3,600 in one camp and then 3,600 in the placebo camp. In terms of results, well, it, it, it did work. The question isn't so much about the efficacy. It's about the potential increase in one specific outcome that we're going to talk about in just a minute. But in terms of preventing severe illness requiring medical attention, which was the main outcome here, it was 82% effective at protecting infants from severe illness during the first three months after birth. And then that protection went down from 82% to 69% over six months. So still super effective, okay? 82% in the first three months, going down to 69% at six months. So it's pretty good. Remember, this doesn't carry protection like for the first or, or two years of life. Really this carried out for three to six months. Now similar to the COVID vaccination, COVID is meant to not really prevent you from getting it, but to prevent you from getting really sick if you get it, right? And, and that's the exact same thing what they found here. Overall there was no big reduction in in all cases of RSV, because most of those were mild cases. So the the reduction in RSV was found to be significant for severe disease, but it didn't really do anything for mild cases, okay? So let's put that in perspective. So yes, it did work uh, to prevent severe illness, but it didn't really prevent mild cases of RSV. Those results were not statistically significant between the vaccination group and the placebo group. Okay, so efficacy, check. We get that at least for 180 days after birth. Now let's get into the nuances here. The big nuance we already talked about is, hey, we're still waiting for CDC, ACIP, which is the governmental body, the organization that recommends vaccination schedules to providers, and then ACOG slash SMFM. But the issue here really has to do with overall safety because there are some concerns and those who sat on the FDA panel uh, voiced their their concern about this being underpowered to look for certain adverse events, chiefly preterm birth, because preterm birth was something here that we have to discuss because preterm birth was a whole reason that another company, the competitor to this vaccine, bailed on making the maternal RSV vaccine. How about that, okay? So we're gonna talk about that incident in just a minute, and then when we come back, we're gonna talk about the rates of preterm birth seen according to this New England Journal, because this information is right there in that phase three study. So when we come back, let's talk about the experienced rates of preterm birth with vaccination compared to placebo. Okay, so here's what was a little odd in those patients who received Abrizo, okay? So Abrizo is the branded name of this new maternal RSV vaccine, Abrizo, A-B-R-Y-S-V-O, Abrizo. Now, in the the patients who received the vaccine, the preterm birth rate was 5.7%. Okay. Compared to placebo, that was 4.7%. So it was 1% higher. Now, to be very clear, that doesn't mean causation. It's unclear if the vaccine itself caused that increase in 1% or if there were other factors there. However, 1% is what got some of those on the FDA board a little concerned. Now, before you go, wait a minute, Chop, it's 1%. Is that really a big deal? Well, there's two things to remember here. One, yes. Uh, and two, um, this may not have been powered enough to look for, for a preterm birth. So remember, it's only 3,600 in one camp, 36 in another. And so it wasn't like a 10% increase, but that 1% increase is a concern. And by itself, probably wouldn't mean very much. Like, oh, that's interesting. Let's just you know, follow that up in post-market surveillance, which the company's planning to do anyway. But when you take a look at that result, here it is guys, compared to another vaccination that was in development and that was halted, now this becomes a little bit more worrisome. Before we get into the Glaxo data, which is the other manufacturer that halted its development of their RSV maternal vaccine, let, let's get into this 1% preterm birth rate between treatment and or between vaccination and placebo group. I know that doesn't sound like a, like a lot. We already discussed that. And the truth is, just to be fair, quote, it was not statistically significant, end quote. Okay. Now, when this was presented to the FDA, uh, those uh, part, uh, who are part of the manufacturer stated, look, in the US as a whole, I mean, the, the preterm birth rate as a population is anywhere from 8 to 10%. So, having these two rates here, they're both under the population norm. And that's fair. That's good. However, population norm takes into account uh, specific histories and then um, medical indications. So it doesn't stratify for anything. It's just preterm birth as a group. So when you take a look at control conditions, when you have a 1% change, it may or may not uh, be clinically significant. We already talked about the fact that it's not statistically significant. And that's why I said if, if this lived in isolation, then, then that would be just an interesting caveat, something that could be followed up, followed up along uh, in post-market surveillance. But, but again, it's the issue that GSK found, okay, so GlaxoSmithKline, it's the same issue here, preterm birth, that caused them to halt their trial, which makes this 1% change in preterm birth rates more significant here. GlaxoSmithKline was also in the plans to develop a maternal RSV vaccine, again, for neonatal protection, but they halted when they found increased rates of premature births in the vaccination group. Again, it never proved causation, but it was enough for them to, to pause and say, we're not ready for this, something else is going on here. And, and so they stopped. Now, to be to be very clear, it was not the exact same vaccine, but it was pretty darn similar, right? Both of them were uh, were making antibodies against the glycoprotein of the virus. So they were very, very similar, though not identical. Now in that GSK program, in that research from Glaxo, the the rise in preterm birth wasn't actually in the U.S. So to be very clear, it was about 8% in those who received vaccination compared to 4% in placebo. So it was a double. And for some reason, those were in South Africa at one of their sites. It was not in the U.S. Okay. So there are some differences here. It's not the same vaccine. Uh, The preterm birth rate seen with uh, GlaxoSmithKline's uh, attempt was not in the U.S., but it was still enough for that manufacturer to say, hold on, there's something here. Maybe it's the immunogenicity, we don't know. So we're just going to shelf this for now. So that's one of the flags. When you take that into account to a similar vaccine that caused the halt of this development, now this 1% seems a little bit more worrisome. Uh, And again, even though it's below the population level of preterm birth of 10%, this is in a controlled, uh, smaller uh, group of individuals so it may not have had the numbers to show a true statistically significant rise in preterm birth. That is the main nuance here uh, and the main cautionary tale. There's another one about co-administration with Tdap that we have to address, so let's do that next. Okay, so because this vaccine is meant to be given in the third trimester, and the manufacturer, even though the study was done as early as 24 weeks, the FDA approval says to give this after 32, preferably before 36 weeks, okay, so it is late preterm, around the same time as Tdap. So the thought is, uh, as we've already said, how many vaccines can a pregnant patient get? We haven't even talked about the GBS one again, as I mentioned in the intro, that that may be coming out sometime later as well. but. To prevent, you know, having come back getting a vaccine one time, then coming back getting a vaccine at another time, there's a thought of, well, we can just administer Tdap with this uh, RSV vaccine at the same time. But that does not seem to be a good idea. Now, this wasn't tested in pregnancy, but it was tested in non-pregnant individuals and and it didn't seem to work well. I'll explain why in just a moment. Uh, plus, even though you, this was not studied in pregnant individuals, you take the uh, potential immunosuppression of pregnancy on top of that, we, we don't expect it to be any better, right? So if it didn't work well, when this RSV vaccine was given at the same time of Tdap in non-pregnant individuals, it really doesn't make any biological sense to think it would work any better when they were pregnant. But just to be clear, That combination, given at the same time as Tdap, has been published. It was published last year in 2022, uh, and it seemed to reduce the effectiveness for pertussis. Let me give you that reference next. Remember, we'll post all of this on our reference list whenever I get a chance to post that reference list because, man, we're trying to get things off rapid fire and at the same time, yeah, we've got clinical duties. But I promise we'll get that reference list uh, ASAP on our uh, on our Google Share doc. Anyway, the publication that looked at co-administration with Tdap was published in the Journal of Infectious Disease in 2022. And the lead author was Peterson. And the title, as you would expect, is Safety and Immunogenicity of RSV. Prefusion fusion F vaccine when co-administered with, you guessed it, the Tdap vaccine. This study was in non-pregnant women who were between 18 and 49 years of age, and they found that while both were equally accepted well, I mean, there was maybe a little bit of pain at the uh, injection site, the big issue was is that it reduced the immunological response for pertussis, And that's a problem because we're trying to prevent pertussis in the newborn as well. So if the schedule does come out and there is a recommendation to do this in pregnancy, it should include a statement not to co-administer with Tdap, not because it's going to reduce the efficacy of the RSV vaccine, but actually because it can reduce the efficacy of pertussis immune response to Tdap. All right, podcast family, we told you we're doing things hot off the press. So this is right off the heels of the FDA approval. But remember, just because something is FDA approved, that's different than a recommendation for use. So, yes, it's great news. It's exciting. Uh, Science and vaccinations do work, but we still need to figure out how this is going to play out, especially with the red flag of potential preterm births. So as of right now, let's wait for the CDC, we still have to wait for ACIP, and then we'll wait for the ACOG response. All right, podcast family, when new developments do happen, we'll be sure to keep you up to date. We'll either post something on our Facebook page or we'll release another episode to wrap up this interesting development on maternal RSV vaccination. As always, we're thankful for you and we're glad that you're part of our podcast community. And we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.